Hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Weird Tales podcast. My name is Tycho Alhambra. Thank you for listening. If this is your first episode, welcome. We're happy to have you here regardless of your race, sexual orientation, or gender identity. The Weird Tales podcast believes that trans rights are human rights, that abortion is health care, and that black lives matter, and we stand in solidarity with you all. Transcripts of the show, as well as links to institutions fighting for reproductive justice, can all be found in the show notes. My apologies for not having an intro or outro last week. I had recorded the story segment and was all set to record the intro and outro when a personal crisis came up that required my attention for a prolonged period of time. There's no need to be concerned. Everyone here at WTP Inc. is fine and safe and healthy. This is a submitted story and one I quite enjoy. The author is Nicholas Barold Lundblad. I discovered this author by performing a story on a podcast series called Tales from the Radiator. I read his story, The Waiting Woman, which was a pretty good weird fiction tale. I got in contact with him and he offered me two stories. They were both good, but this is the one I went with. I may do his other story at some point in the future. Anyway, if you enjoy the story, please visit unpredictablepatterns.com, link in the show notes. The Listener, by Nicholas Barold Lundblad. I listen. That is my job. No, more. It is my vocation. Not a lot of people know about the listeners. Our existence is a closely guarded secret, a competitive advantage of the world's largest signal intelligence organization, the National Security Agency of the USA. Like all truly revolutionary advantages, this one was based on a number of very simple observations. First, the amount of information is exploding. Conservative assessments say that the flow of information worldwide is doubling every 12 months, but the truth is that no one really knows if that is true or not. We know basically bum all about this brave new world that we have created with our networks, computers, phones, and all kinds of gadgets. What we do know is that there is a buttload of information to sift through hunting for the bad guys. And that is a technical term, good people. Buttload means too much for our technology, for the people working at the agency, for all of us. Too much. Second, humans produce patterns. We are patterns. Anyone who focuses on what we say or tries to understand intelligence on the basis of what people say is losing. What you need to do is look at aggregate behavior. You have to look at the macro level. The smart kids explain it with, believe me or not, quantum physics. They say that individual particles behave magically, disappear and appear, get stuck in entanglement and collapse in wave functions, and I have no clue what they're saying, not really. But the important part is this. You can ignore the particles if all you are interested in is things like apples and cars and trees, because when you bunch particles together, they behave in a Newtonian way. They fall if you throw them. They obey the macro laws of gravity. They can be predicted by any child. People, they say, are the same. So if you focus on the patterns and you can predict them, then you can predict us. Third, patterns are easier to hear than to see. This was the component that really blew them, uh, the brainiacs, away. It turns out that the human ear has a resolution that is thousands of times higher than the human eye. They had invested millions of tax dollars in visualization technologies that made information swirl and blink and appear as a psychedelic artwork on gigantic screens when they found this out. And I understand that there was quite a bit of managerial screaming involved when they explained that at best, 
This could be used for the firm's Christmas parties as lighting, because no one could catch patterns in that mess. Yeah, as if what our Christmas parties needed was lighting. What they would need is some kind of drugs, possibly to suit the psychedelic graphic display, since everyone is up to their eyes in secrets and ops that they cannot discuss. Typical conversation on the job, something like, hey, what's up? Followed by massive but meaningfully pretentious silence and the occasional knowing smile. But I digress. Patterns are easier to hear than to see. So the brainiacs built the organ. The organ translates all the data we collect and transforms it into sound. I don't know how it works. I don't think anyone does. It has neural networks, deep learning. It has our own synapse maps and something called apophenia filters that is supposed to filter out spurious correlations and meaningless patterns. It has more computing power than you will find anywhere else in the world. They even had to build special hardware to make the monstrous thing work. The computing architectures we had built so far simply could not accommodate the way this thing worked. Originally, the organ produced more than 4,000 hours of sound a minute, and even if we could have solved unemployment through hiring people to listen to all that noise, we would not be better off because it turns out that very few people can listen intently to its songs for very long. Well, at least without going insane. Very few people can become listeners. What can I say? It's a talent, folks. Some have it, others simply can't keep up. And if you have the talent, if you belong to the select few, then listening to the organ is, how should I describe it? It's, it's a little bit like having an orgy with an entire Miss Universe competition lathered up in oil, high on the best cocaine you can imagine, and watching Jim Morrison and Prince do dueling guitar solos. But better. It is transcendent. Like staring into the face of God and finding your own eyes staring back at you with infinite love. All that and more. And it works. You find patterns and you identify them and then the basement dwellers with their guns, dark suits, and mirror glasses kill the bad guys. It really works. It's quite fascinating to hear the brainiacs explain it. They say that its efficiency is an emergent property of a complex system in which human listeners are the key component. Translation, it works, but we don't know how the hell it works. But hey, the right people are getting shot, so that's something. We just need listeners. People like me. I was recruited by a guy who came to Juilliard. I was wasting my time studying some instrument or other, not important anymore, and they asked me to do a series of tests. I have absolute pitch, but more than that, I have a perfect eidetic memory for music and sound. I can hear who built your violin or what synthesizer brand you are playing and what version of the software you are using in it. I can identify some 300 different artists by just listening to seconds of music. I am a freak, but I was exactly the kind of freak they needed. A listening freak. The tests start out easy. You're asked to identify instrumentalists and do some pitch work, and then they escalated. They had one test where they wanted you to identify a street based on a simple soundscape. Then, they played a small piece of the music. The first time you hear it, you are stuck. It's not even addictive. Saying it is addictive is like saying that a great white is addictive when it chomps down your surfboard with you on it for a brief midnight snack. 
It grabs you, swallows you. Can you hear anything special, they said. Yeah, I could. The tests continued, but now they had spirited me away to a farm somewhere after having sedated me. You've had dates like that, right? They, they gave me a shot of something, and I woke up in a rickety house in some part of the country that surely must have slipped the memory of God and his uncle hundreds of years ago. There, I got to listen, identify patterns, and I got to learn what patterns they were looking for. They had only a basic understanding of the patterns. Since then, I've worked with them to make sure that we expand the number of motifs that we can use to take action. There's a trick to it, to finding the new themes and motifs that signal threats to our freedom. Or something. Threats, at least. It's hard to describe, but what you do is try to discern the larger harmony, the transpositions of the themes into different keys, and you can use that to identify new patterns and test them. Sometimes we find the bad guys, just as they are deciding to plan something new. We find secret cells that have been sleeping for years. And they have no idea how we do it. There are a few other listeners. Some are as good as I am, believe it or not. Some are not quite as good, and we have to be careful with them. If they listen too much, they go off the rails big time, like drooling and waving knives. One of them just retired quietly to his room and proceeded to cut himself up in pieces that he ate. Said someone told him to when they found him. He had snacked on the major part of a leg by then and had lost so much blood that they couldn't save him. It's pretty powerful stuff, the music. I like to listen at night. The music is somehow purer then. I can find things in there that don't seem to exist during the day. Now, I'm sure this is some kind of imagination on my part, since the organ doesn't know what time zone it's in, or at least I don't think so, but... Night is the best time to listen. It was a summer night, late in July, that I first heard her. I have to be cautious now. This journal is my way of documenting what I think is a major discovery, but I also realize that this is what happens to the less talented. They all rant about hearing someone in the music, and they do crazy things. It, it, it is not like that for me, not at all. At least, not yet. She has not told me to serve myself up as fast food, and she is not telling me to set fire to my colleagues. She's not speaking to me. But I think she is listening back. Or maybe that's the wrong verb. It's not listening exactly, but is the same attitude, with a twist. It's more of a need. A hunger, yes. She is starving. I heard her hunger the first time on that quiet summer night. She appeared for just a few seconds, or even less than that, and everything froze. It was like when you watch one of those funky pictures that are two things at the same time, a duck, rabbit, an old woman with a huge nose, or a young girl looking away with a tender jawline, a necker cube. One second I could just hear the music, the next, I could hear her hunger, and then I was back in the music again. But I knew that I had just heard something completely different, that my world, sorry-ass world that it is, would never be the same. 
God, listen to how that sounds, like a lovey-dovey teenager. No, it was more than that. I knew then that the world was a big freaking lie in a lie in a lie. A trick played on us. I had to hear her again, but it was really hard. Some people just cannot see the rabbit, even if they've seen it once. They are stuck with the duck. They call it aspect blindness and inability to see that other angle, that other thing in the picture. It's a real handicap. I suspect almost all of us have it when it comes to the music. Only really good listeners can overcome it. Listen through. So I applied for more listening time, but I had to be careful because there is a well-known pattern here. Listeners that apply for more listening time usually are in a downward spiral, and they will soon start hallucinating, and then it is down barking mad lane in a loony bin wagon before you know it. So, I started in very small increments, and luckily it did not take long before I could hear her again. This time, she spoke to me. Not anything crazy, just a simple word. Deeper. For a listener, that's not even hard to understand. We all describe listening as something that has depth. Real listeners listen deeper. We sometimes talk about the end of listening as surfacing, and when we speak about the ones that go bonkers, we call them the drowners. They drown in the music. I remember one of the drowners asking over lunch just before he donned a nice fine shirt with sleeves you tie in the back, How deep do you think it is? How deep down can you go? I don't think about that stuff. It's enough to listen. But I suspect that it is pretty damn deep. Actually, I think there is no bottom to it. It just goes on. Turtles all the way down, as the old lady said. So she wanted me to listen deeper. I could do that. Easy peasy. I told you I was careful. I waited a few weeks and just worked as usual, catching patterns, establishing links, discovering plots and thwarting crimes, attacks, and just generally doing good guy stuff because, baby, that is just how amazingly patriotic and heroic I am. At the end of this period of a few weeks, I asked for a little more time, and frankly, after all that work, I could have asked for a bus field with cheerleaders dressed in nothing but whipped cream if I had wanted to. I got more time. Not even a raised eyebrow. Going deeper involves a technique. Just like deep-sea divers have to learn to hold their breath, you have to learn to hold your mind. You have to focus in a way that would make a laser beam look like a distracted slacker. Really just pinpoint the mind into the music. I had practiced this in all of my free time, consciously trying to get to a point where I could go where she led me. Deeper. When I tuned in and focused, I plunged down, down, almost immediately. It was trivial. I think now that this was because the music was wanting me to dive deeper, but I sure felt proud when I did it on the first try. I felt damn fine and patted myself on the back for being such a bundle of smart and talent. I sank and sank, and I heard her again. Now, she sang. It was a song without words, a song that cut across the music. She sang like a shepherd, a guiding song, and I followed deeper and further than I had ever been before. 
Her song helped me, weighed me down like iron chains. I sank with her as she sang. I should have been afraid. This is what happened to the poor bastards that drowned, wasn't it? They never made it up and they became gibbering idiots, or worse. But it felt real. I don't need to phrase it differently, it just felt so real. So, I sank. The Brainiacs had this theory. They said that the universe has tons of dimensions and that we can only see three of them and time is layered somewhere on top of that. Sight is limited to three dimensions. They also said that the music may actually be n-dimensional and that what we listeners did was that we accessed the world from another dimension. And that was why we could see the patterns. The music, they said, is another reality with another set of dimensions. They even built this out and said that this was why people were so interested in music. Music hints at those other dimensions and we have a dimensional longing. We want to experience the other dimensions that we know are there just beyond our sight. Music is dimension envy, essentially. A means to explore the hidden fabric of reality. I think that's crap. The music is the only thing that is real. Our world is but a surface reflection of everything that happens in the depths of the music, of forces we do not understand or comprehend. I sank. And in the deep, I found myself face to face with her. She is the mother of all. She is death and eternal life, the blind, swirling chaos at the heart of the cosmos. I could feel her devouring me, her hunger tearing through me. And then I felt surprise, the sudden realization that we had broken through. The organ had made a crack, a crack in the dam holding her back. And I realized then that the music was a prison, that she had been locked away in these patterns and the complexity of the music untold millennia ago. It was impossible, but also obvious. She had been locked away in the complexity of the music, and we had opened a crack. She smiled, and something broke inside me. I threw myself up, up, trying to resurface, trying to stop listening, to reach the surface. I don't know how, but I came out. I returned. But I was wrong. Broken. And she is coming. I ran. I managed to get out from the secret facility without anyone suspecting anything, and then I made for the mountains. It was not really fleeing, because <laughs> to flee, you need hope. I have no hope. I just need to be somewhere else when she arrives. I can hear her. She's close. Listen. And that is the end of the story. Please feel free to get yourself a copy of The Colin Malatrat Museum of Curious Oddities and Strange Antiquities, my debut collection of weird fiction. Fourteen interconnected tales that tell an overarching story of love, loss, and revenge. 
You can find it on Amazon. Link is in the show notes. If you enjoy the show and want to help support it, please feel free to join me on Patreon. Every dollar goes back into the show, and I am grateful to everyone who helps support it. Lauren Maines, John McDonough, and David Ricker, thank you so much for your support. Please go and get vaccinated for anything and everything you're eligible for. If you see a bigot out in the wild and doing a bigotry, get a handful of pepper. You keep pepper in your pocket for just such an emergency, right? It's not just me. And just blow it right in his face and shout, Fairy dust! Think happy thoughts! (laughs) That's such a ridiculously stupid... All right. And always... And always remember that the most important step a person can take is always the next one. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.